You didn't write a rap, by the way. I didn't, no. I actually started one. Uh, (laughs) The only lines that I got were, the sudden death for Van Damme and Jai White, the Point Break remake is all kinds of shite. And then the ending bit was watching redos to the point that we break. The podcast is the good, the bad, and the remake. Oh, the good, the bad, and the remake. Spoilers in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great, and their respective remakes. Will it be an unmake, an agree make, or amazing? My name's Neil, and these are my co hosts. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hello, I'm Ben. And today we have episode 15 uh, Infernal Affairs and The Departed. You'll hear our thoughts on the original, our hopes and expectations for the remake. And the one thing we will take from the remake into the original. So we've released our teaser. Everyone knows the 10 films. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, uh, you have seen both uh, Infernal Affairs and the Scorsese remake, The Departed. As always, we have watched two films, but there can only be one synopsis. Ben, tell our listeners. The cops have undercover agents in the criminal underworld. The gangsters are playing the cops at their own game by putting their own people into the police academy. Now an undercover cop is looking for the mole in the police department, while the mole is looking for the cop that's undercover in his boss's gang. Long-held rivalries are going to be settled, double crosses are going to happen, and convoluted infernal affairs will result in both sides, adding to the list of The Departed. Brilliant. I'm going for a new thing this season. I'm going to try and slip the title into the synopsis. Yeah, I like it. So, Catherine, do you want to give our listeners all the stats and facts, please? Infernal Affairs, 2002, directed by Andrew Lau Wai Kung and Alan Mack. Budget estimated to be 6.4 million. Worldwide gross, 8.8 million. The remake budget was 90 million, significantly more, but apparently 50% of that was on um, wages. Worldwide gross was 291 million. So it's pretty, pretty decent. Yeah, like a 200 million profit on that. And that was obviously directed by Martin Scorsese um, of Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Color of Money, Cape Fear, Goodfellas, Casino, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street, anything that stars Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio, basically. Um, Just look out for those films and you'll find Martin Scorsese. Sorry, what's interesting on that is, though, his first... Uh, I'm not sure if only collaboration with Jack Nicholson. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I just go back to the Chinese director of Infernal Affairs, Andrew Lau Wai Kung? He's directed 47 films, so quite prolific himself. First was in 1990. The title sounds quite normal, Against All. A couple of years later, two films, Raped by an Angel and All New Human Skin Lanterns. <laughs> hey! So, wow. Yeah. Scorsese not fancy picking one of them up. Yeah. <laughs> Scorsese making raped by a Catholic angel. Oh, yeah. 
it's, that's in his bag, isn't it? But I think he picked the right one. Yeah, could be. So yeah, I was very excited to firstly rewatch The Departed that I've not seen 10, 10 plus years uh, and see the original Infernal Affairs. I think, if I recall correctly, I had it on DVD, um, but it's one of those ones that just kind of sat on a shelf and it never opened. Yeah, I was very, very much looking forward to to seeing the original. Catherine, what about yourself? I had seen The Departed, really liked The Departed, and wasn't aware that it was a remake until, like I say, we discussed it last season um, and was just looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I saw uh, Internal Affairs a couple of years after it came out on DVD, rented it from Love Film, and then a couple of years later, obviously, it was remade, went to see that in the cinema. But I hadn't seen Infernal Affairs again in the now 17 years, probably, since I saw it. Whereas The Departed is the kind of film that I've probably watched every 18 months, two years. And it was getting around to about that point where I was like, yeah, I'm ready to watch The Departed again. When this came up, so I held off for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say I've seen that easily five times, if not more. So, as always, we will kick off our discussion on the original. And as always, again, Catherine uh, will start off with her thoughts. This was a film about loyalty, betrayal. It had a very moody kind of stylish edge, which I liked. And I thought it was a great film. I completely forgot. I had to remind myself that I'd watched the subtitled version because I was drawn in immediately. And when you're drawn into a film with subtitles, You'd forget that you forget that you that's you're having to read through it. It's just you're just watching a film, and that's exactly how I felt. Like I think I I had to I really did have to go. Did I watch the subtitles version or the the English dubbed version? And when I looked at um I don't know a, a piece on the internet and looked at the English dubbed version, I was like, oh no, that is awful. I I loved how emotionally involved I got with them. It was it was. It was far more character driven than I expected it to be. It wasn't the big shootout that I remembered from The Departed, you know, the big, it just, it was just a big film, The Departed, wasn't it? This was more compact. It was more streamlined. It was clean. I don't know if that's right, but it was, I liked how economical it was and you were straight into the story. I felt so much the turmoil of both of those characters, the two main characters, Nothing was overplayed, but they were fantastic actors. For me, it was a fun, it was a brilliant film. A really, it was a great film. Very good. So the, I guess me and you, Ben, we're more kind of perhaps maybe steeped in in uh, some Asian cinema, should we say? Hong Kong, uh, especially, so, yeah. Hong Kong, yeah. So uh, Tony Lung uh, and Andy Lau. I know you've probably seen a fair amount of both recently um, with your with your January. Indeed, they have both popped up in Jackie Chan films for me recently. <clears throat> I guess this was, you know, for, for, for a Hong Kong Chinese audience, if you like, was almost like, a, you know, these two heavyweight actors who had probably been on screen together, but never in something this big. They were perhaps foils for other characters. Well, I think these, Andy Lau and, and Tony Lung, Tony Lung especially is a very respected actor in China and does... He's almost like Tom Cruise, like he does big action films and then he does very moody character pieces, award pieces. So Andy Lau and Tony Lung leading a film together as rivals is to Hong Kong cinema what what Heat or something like that would have been, you know, in the 90s to, to Hollywood cinema. And And I felt that straight away, you know, seeing from the opening scene where they're both 
uh, is it in the kind of radio store or the stereo store? Um, and, you know, these two, you know, I didn't personally get that feeling. I know the actors, but imagine if you were of Hong Kong origins or Chinese yourself and seeing it's like, wow, you know, these two kind of heavyweights of uh, from that region. But yeah, I was, uh, I thought it was very uh, economical with its story compared to The Departed. So it is, runtime is a lot, lot shorter. You perhaps spend a little bit less understanding the history and backstory. You get that kind of opening um, shot of when they're in the, uh, the the kind of training camp, if you like, um, which which gives that kind of grounded backstory. Whereas in the uh, uh, we'll get to the remake later, but it's uh, there's a lot more kind of meat on the bones. So, and again, I hadn't seen The Departed for for some time, so this was almost like watching. Some of the departed came back to me as I was watching this, but it is a very much its its own kind of film and way of telling uh, the same story. I love the way that they they reveal to the audience of who these kind of two people are and how they came to be infiltrated in gang and also in the police. Uh, I loved the um, Morse code stuff. I thought it was fantastic with the kind of tapping of the. Uh, of the leg or the window, wherever it was. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was very good. It was clever, the Morse code stuff. It was clever. I know 2002 wasn't, um, mobile phones weren't massive, but it's, it's a cleverer way to do it than a mobile phone. I, I liked how it was, it was just, it was more emotional. It was an emotional journey about the life of deception more than, oh, oh should we, I shouldn't be talking about the, remake yeah that's what that's what i'm trying to avoid um yeah and try to focus solely so i i that's a very good point there that um you feel the turmoil that um tony tony lung's character is going through of being deep undercover for many years you know being away from i'm not even sure if he's referenced having a family or anything like that his only real relationship he has is with um i guess the police chief who knows he's undercover uh, which is or was one of only two people, but one of those died early on in the film, uh, and the psychiatrist. That that's his relationships uh, and the and the goons. So he he, I think that's a really really smart way for them to uh, for, for Tony to open up. It's the only place he can open up is to his psychiatrist or to his boss, and it's like, well, he's got well, no other anchor to talk he, to. He doesn't open up to his psychiatrist though, or it appears that he doesn't. He just goes there to sleep. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. I also think the uh, the, the the way it ends is uh, very very smart. My interpretation, and we'll get into this a bit more maybe with the remake, but my interpretation is that, that Andy Lau's character has reformed. He he does want to get out of this. He he wants to be you know police for real. He's changed. He is now going to be a good person. Um, but then his uh, his buddy, who was also undercover, I think, um, shoots Tony uh, as they uh, enter the lift, which is uh, an interesting take. Well, I, th- I think he's got a, a character arc where he is from the beginning. At the beginning, he is the mole. He is part of the criminal underworld, sort of infiltrated into the police. But th- this is what this film's about. He, as he becomes, he, he is a police officer, really. He, he starts to think of himself as a police officer. He's living that life. And that's how he he's starting to see himself, and he does want to reform to become that that good man. And for Tony Leung's character, I think Yan is his name. He is 
starting to lose himself. He's starting to worry. He's, I mean, he's been in there for 10 years, 10 years he's been undercover and he is, he is, he's just got this desperation. It's like a quiet desperation. He needs to, to get out of this. He is at the point where he is going to lose himself completely. And that's the, the, the point at which these two characters are at you're right he definitely does want to make a change it's interesting that you that you focused in on the emotional impact of the film because i think one of the things having watched a lot of hong kong cinema this year so far one of the things about infernal affairs that sticks out to me is actually how restrained a lot of the drama is because there's a tendency in not just uh, Cantonese cinema, but ac across Asia to go operatic, go big, really broad emotions like Kabuki theatre. And there, there's moments of that, like, so like the reveal with the kid when Tony Leung uh, bumps into an ex and she's got a young child and she lies about the child's age so that it would cover up, would cover up to Tony Leung that it's his. Um, there's a little bit of the, the you know the telenovela kind of bum 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 kind of music and, and emotional strings and that but the rest of it and i think especially in tony lung and andy lau's performance is just in their faces they're 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 barely containing what's going on with them the style of the film again it, it is quite interesting i think you would have seen a lot more of this kind of film come out in the years since because it was very successful but at the time this was really appropriating a Hollywood style of editing and shooting. And if it wasn't populated by um, Chinese actors and, you know, you removed their faces and, and put the faces of Mark Wahlberg or whoever onto them, it would really look like a, a Tony Scott movie, like something like Man on Fire. You know, it is very much edited and shot in this same style. So I think it was quite hip when it came out for lack of a better word and the thing with the mobile phones and all of that it's it's almost a techno thriller and what's interesting about it in comparison to the departed it is the best part of an hour shorter and it really moves at pace so much so that i actually struggle to keep up with it whether it be because subtitles are flashing off screen or because you're constantly jumping back in time forward in time and you've got these two actors who are playing dual parts and you're seeing them go through the academy and it's, it is i personally actually found some of that stuff difficult to keep up with and i had to keep referring to the departed because i know the story of that better and go okay this is the leonardo dicaprio analog things like that but from a structural point of view i think what's really great is the first 30 minutes is throwing all of this information at you really fast because it just wants to get to the meat there's a big story to tell here and the first 30 minutes is basically one long sting operation and it goes on so long but it's going at such a breakneck pace i think it actually becomes really tense and it wasn't until like i say about 30 35 minutes in that i realized i was doing that white knuckle thing like my fists were were clenched because genuinely really tense even though i know how the story goes so that's just really really great filmmaking i think yeah uh, i'm surprised there's there's one person in the crew that you haven't mentioned neil i don't know if you know what i'm about to say okay. did you see did you see who was credited as the visual consultant on this film no 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 christopher doyle ah, okay go on yeah well he's, he he's he's um a cinematographer on 
my most beautiful film of all time, Hero, amongst amongst others. So, yeah, yeah, nice. So that is that bridge, I think, between Hong Kong and America. The other thing that I think is possibly slightly different or is more played on in Infernal Affairs is the dual rivalries. So you've got the mole in the police department and you've got the undercover cop who have been told to hunt each other. But the rivalry is really between the bosses, the, the boss of the, the crime gang and the captain of the, of the team that uh, knows Tony Lung's uh, identity. They actually get to have a rivalry in the film and, and pretty much sit across a table from one another and give each other shit. And you can tell that this has been going on for 10 years. And that lends itself to them being surrogate fathers for these guys who they're actually exploiting. And I think that's why you get away with the Andy Lau character having that uh, reform arc because you feel more that he's actually been used by, I don't know the actor's name, but the the, the crime boss guy. Sam, was it? Right. On Sam. Whereas in The Departed, we'll talk a bit more about it, but I think the um, the personalities are much more ambiguous uh, than they are in this film. And Tony Lung, I think, is, I keep going on about him, but it's very interesting to me because the first film I became aware of him in was John Woo's Hard Boiled. And in that, spoilers for Hard Boiled, slightly, Tony Lung is an undercover cop who is a suspect of the cop trying to break the crime gang. He's basically playing exactly the same part in this and has almost identically tragic ending, actually. <laughs> Uh, don't worry about spoilers for Hard Boiled. You're not watching it for the plot, trust me. But yeah, I think it's it's super flashy. There's fast editing. There's dynamic cinematography. It's a really solid film. It moves at breakneck pace, and it feels self-contained. I know that there were at least two sequels, although one of them is a prequel, kind of. Um, but this is just, in Hong Kong terms, it, it is the equivalent of a kind of a, a the films that Ben Affleck made a few years ago, you know, it's a really solid film set in a very specific place in a very specific time, loads of plot, loads of twists. And yeah, I just think it's really satisfying. It's, it's solid is the word I would, I would use to describe it. It is one of those films though, with the right team and the right cast could be a fantastic remake. And, and I sure. think that is, that is credit to, you know, you've, we've all seen, the undercover cop and we've all seen the undercover mole you know infiltrating the cops uh, and cops infiltrating kind of gangs and things but i don't think i've ever seen both at the same time and the, the way yeah. it the way it kind of just tells you that pretty much in the first sort of 10 15 minutes you know who's who that would normally be the twist in yeah. a film maybe no that's the story and it's, then it goes from there and it's such a great concept and it's such a simple concept to to, to say and it allows for all of these complexities and this tension and this drama i can't believe it hasn't been done before maybe it has i don't know but this is certainly the first high profile time i remember seeing something like this i obviously had seen the departed so i knew how it ended i'd forgotten how it ended mm. i knew it wasn't well but i had forgotten and it was such a, i remember it being such a shock because of that's not what I think far more now, but certainly at the time I was watching The Departed, those kind of shock twist endings weren't happening, really. Nothing that I'd been aware of, you know. It's more now along the lines of the Game of Thrones, kind of, and it was a real shock. And 
so this again in this film, it was a shock to me. I had I'd just forgotten. So I wasn't expecting that lift scene. So that was something I wanted to ask you both, actually, like did having a prior knowledge, regardless of how foggy or fuzzy or whatever it was, it didn't spoil the film in any way for you? Not for me. I think I'd only ever seen The Departed once. It was a long time ago, close to when it came out. And so it was almost like a new film, this one for me, as was when I watched The Departed, although less so because I'd just seen this. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I'd say didn't spoil it. Well, they are two different films, I think, although they are very similar Mm. in the story. The feel of the film is, is very different. Sure. If you if you enjoyed this and you want to see more like this, two films I'd recommend. One of them is Ringo Lam's City on Fire, which stars Chow Yun-Fat, which, strangely enough, has a kind of high-profile remake of its own. Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs has stolen elements of that film wholesale, and there's no denying it. There's another film which I watched very recently called The Gangster, The Cop, and The Devil, which has... A, a similar sort of high concept as this. It's a crime boss and a cop teaming up to hunt a serial killer because the serial killer accidentally went after the gangster. That really tough, really exciting, loads of action. Great film. Really, I think you would both really, really enjoy that. I've got quite a big list of films now that Ben's recommended that I have for each genre that sure. I've been <laughs> yeah. introduced to that I just haven't got to yet. Add it to your watch list. Yeah, get a letterbox account, stick it on your watch list. Good chat on the original there. We are the good, the bad, and the remake. And we very, very curious to hear everyone's thoughts uh, on the remake that departed. Catherine, do you want to kick us off? I can't say why this film is great, but it is a great film. It's big, it's loud, it is a Martin Scorsese mob film. And that's what it is. Big and fun and something I could watch again and again. It is not. It's just such a different feel, though, from the film that it's based on. Whereas that was, like you said, Neil, economical. It was stripped back. It was far more emotion-led. This was action-led, I I think. Whereas all, all the characters were quite um, self-contained and as they would have to be as undercover moles, they have to keep their emotions fairly in check. Everyone just seemed quite panicked in this film. Like Leonardo DiCaprio just just kept losing his shit and just everyone just seemed to be wearing their emotions on the outside. I was like, you can't do that. If you are, if you're undercover, you can't do this. But even in the the police station amongst their, you know, their colleagues and stuff, everyone was just uh oh, loud and on edge. And but it's still great. It was a great film. Sergeant Dignam. I mean, why is he so angry? Why why is he even there? I don't know. Why what has he got against every single person in the world? I don't know. I mean, I know he's there for the very end moment. That is his reason for being, it seems, but I just didn't understand the addition of him. Fine. Well, he's a straight talker, isn't he? Martin Sheen Queenan is is like Nice, nice Catholic guy, you know, like they even take the piss out of him for being like really straight. Whereas Dignam gets straight sure. to the point. I, I mean, that first scene with Leonardo DiCaprio is great. I, I, I'm not sure why he stayed in that room, to be honest, and remained a police officer. But there you go. Um, but yeah, with the you mentioned um, Captain Queenan. 
See, I didn't feel he had the relationship with Leonardo DiCaprio. What Billy Costigan, his relationship was not as entrenched and as fatherly as with um, Jan and um, Superintendent Wong, I think his name was. Whereas that felt, but then they'd had 10 years. He, he said, that's 10 years I've been in this, I've been here. And you felt that desperation to get out. Whereas I think Billy Costigan had been in the role. I think he'd only been with this group six months. I think there was a reference to that. Certainly it wasn't very long. And I just didn't feel that connection with him being a fatherly figure towards him. But this, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much, there's so much going on. They, I was going to say congealed. That is not the right word. Condensed? <laughs> this, this condensed. The three female roles in the original, they condensed down into one with Vera Formiga. Why is she, why is she not bigger? I really, I really liked her. Yeah, she's great. However, yeah, so they condensed down or they congealed down the three roles, which I saw some people, people didn't really like it in some reviews I read. I didn't mind it. I, I thought it added a bit, a bit extra, which that's what the film was doing. It was being extra. So I didn't mind the extra romance, the kind of the extra complication, which was just made things more dramatic, I guess. I, I didn't mind it at all. I think on that, I think it's, uh, it gives each of the characters in the, in the original, the three females in the original, are just kind of there as kind of plot vehicles, you know, a wife and a psychiatrist and an ex-girlfriend who flashes on screen a couple of times. It's just, whereas I think in the remake, you're right, putting that into one character, um, that can, you know, work, it can fail at times, but I think it really works well here. It gives more, more weight to the story. In her role as a really awful psychiatrist. I mean, what what was she doing? I don't understand. Oh uh, no, let's not talk about that. It's fine because I haven't formulated my thoughts on that. Well, put that out. I'll answer that question. Matt Damon wasn't taking care of business, was he? And then in comes no. in comes crew cut Leo DiCaprio. He's been working out in the prison and all of that. She's got yeah. edges. She needs. She needs. Yeah. To- Fair enough. Yeah, there was a lot of impotence talk throughout the the film. Yeah, it was. You know, it was everywhere. But obviously, that was to make the point of the, like the third character in Infernal Affairs, the ex girlfriend who is who's got Jan's child. That's obviously to to make the point that when, when the psychiatrist gets pregnant, that is Leonardo DiCaprio's child. That's not Matt Damon's child. Frank Costello. It, it was just a Jack Nicholson role, wasn't it? It was Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. But just, I liked it, but it, it kind of took away from the two. It wasn't sort of Billy Costigan against Colin Sullivan, sorry. Um, it was it was more of a three. He became quite a big role in it, yeah. which yeah. far more than the first one. But I, I enjoyed this just as much as I enjoyed Infernal Affairs, just in a very different way. I, I couldn't pick between them. Interesting. Very interesting. I don't want to be a product for my environment. <laughs> Need some work. Yeah, yeah. I, I want my environment <laughs> to be a product of me. There you go. We would not be good at our jobs. We would be. <laughs> you calling us? <laughs> <laughs> so I know um, there are issues with the departed. It's a bit bloated. I don't know. They they went into the backstories, but again, I didn't mind it. But they didn't have the character arc for Matt Damon's character for Colin. You just felt that. 
his only motive really was for himself to get where he wants to be and to not be found out rather than becoming a good guy for want of a better you know black and white term but I still didn't mind it so when know. you say he didn't have the arc you mean the redemptive arc yeah or, or no arc at all well his only real reason for doing any of it he wasn't I didn't think he was feeling bad about what he was doing he was feeling under pressure and under the control of um, Jack Nicholson that we would never get out of but it's more because like there were a couple of conversations he had with Jack Nicholson he's like well do this and get me this and get me this and Jack Nicholson's like whoa what do you mean mm-hmm. get me this get me that you know who do you think you are kind of thing and I think he's at the point where look I know what I'm doing let you know he's outgrowing Jack Nicholson and being under his control but it's not about wanting to be to serve people to to be a better person public service it's about him wanting to serve himself and that's why he kills Jack Nicholson in the end because he's been writing out to the FBI not because he just wants out do you know what I mean that's what I got from it I think he he does want to get out and he wants to get away clean which is why he has to burn Billy and Jack Nicholson I can't remember his fucking character Mm -hmm. name but he does have that one conversation with Vera Farmiga where he says to you know we could move to a new city and start again and he's talking about, I mean, he sort of says, I'll go on my own. You can come if you want. But he's obviously looking at kind of going straight, at least getting away clean and trying to do something with his life. I don't think they did enough of it then to give that impression. That From me, I didn't oh, get that impression. Fine, fine, yeah. But, um, but again, I didn't, I just felt it was a different kind of film and just as valid as the other one, then I enjoyed it. So when you gave the stats and facts and you were talking about budgets and things, you referenced the amount they spent on the cast. Now, um, my notes uh, start with, of course, Jack Nicholson opens up the film. He's giving that monologue in a Bostonian accent. Uh, and that is in, in Boston some years ago. Then Ray Winston shows up. Uh, you want to talk about <laughs> accents? <laughs> yeah. I mean, better than um, his Point Break accent. Mm, on, a, on a par. Don't know what you're honest. talking about. I don't, don't yeah. remember that film. <laughs> It's um, so, I mean, because I don't think Ray Winston is trying to do Boston. He's just trying to accomplish any kind of American accent. And he even fails at that. Like, it definitely comes through as, I'm here to kill your monster a lot of the time, doesn't it? It does. It does. So, yeah, Ray Winston shows up. Of course, you've got Matt Damon, you've got DiCaprio. Uh, and they play themselves in the flashbacks. Were they playing themselves in the original? Or were they using no, different actors? Different, actors. different actors. I, I looked at the cast list. Yeah, different actors. Yeah. And and that immediately kind of links you to the, the kind of backstory and who's who. Teddy from Hangtime shows up in training camp. Hangtime, the TV show, the um, basketball kind of sitcom teenage thing. No, not your thing. Is he the guy who gets shot at the end? Yes. Yeah, that's Teddy. Oh, uh, an- is that an- Anthony Anderson? Is that his name? Is, yes. yes. I just remember him from Romeo Must Die because he calls Jet Lee dim sum all the way through Romeo Must Die. <laughs> yeah. Dim sum. Yeah. You get a bit of Martin Sheen, Mark Wahlberg. Um, of course, Alec Baldwin just kind of rocks up for a bit. You know, well, say a bit, he's in quite a lot. So the cast is unreal. Such a big film. Well, we nearly didn't get those actors. Do you want me to wait till the end? So I think you touched on it, Catherine, about kind of Jack Nicholson. And this is as much his film as it is the other two leads and the and the moles, if you like. Uh, and And he is just unbelievable. You know, he's so good in this film. He's... He's evil, he's menacing, he's ruthless, but he's kind of quite 
funny in some ways. I wouldn't quite say charming is the right word, but he has that kind of gangster toned down perfectly. I think he's such, such a good character in this film. I think the way they um, set up the, the, the moles in this, so in the original, they were training in this kind of police training academy thing together. Am I right in saying in the, in the remake they were, but they weren't actually together? And they didn't actually know of each other, didn't really see each other. And I think the only time they crossed paths was when uh, DiCaprio was waiting outside the uh, Sheen's office. Um, yeah. And uh, Matt Damon just walks past him, doesn't even see him, doesn't reference him. But they graduated at the same time, didn't they? I thought they were both at yeah. the same graduation ceremony, mm-hmm. but they were just in different classes because DiCaprio was training to just be a statey, a state trooper. Whereas I think Damon was studying to be an officer or something. Okay. Yeah. And I like that, that, um, cause obviously in the first film, they've got the scene in the stereo radio store, uh, where they first meet. Whereas in this, I don't think they formally meet until he goes to, um, the porno theater. The, well, they didn't even meet, did they? They see each other. Yeah. Well, but he doesn't even really get a good look at him. Neither no, gets a good look it, at either. It's, it's really when, yeah. When DiCaprio's in the office, in the station that's that's it isn't it so yeah i think it, it is a fantastic film i think the the way they kind of kept the core roots of the premise in place but there's a lot i actually watched a video and if you search on youtube comparing the departed and infernal affairs there's so much that's shot exactly the same uh you know and, and so again subtle differences uh within it but it's the, the the meat on the bones it adds to the film that i do i do like i do like that i think it it adds more to the story that The Departed is telling. It maybe changes the story of what Infernal Affairs was telling, but I do like it. And and I think that is a, a credit, you know, credit to the to Scorsese, of course. You know, he's he's basically taken this film and and made it a Scorsese film. I think the the journey that DiCaprio goes through is really interesting because he he's basically this am I right in saying he was a, a from an Irish family, his his family work. I guess within the criminal underworld themselves. Well, Uncle un- Uncle Jackie was definitely a, a ruthless, semi-connected guy, but I think they kind of say he just did what he wanted, and so Nicholson and Providence and all those people never really touched him because he wasn't messing with their guys. Yeah. So so obviously when DiCaprio goes to to see Wahlberg and and Sheen and Martin Sheen, and and he's just given this like incredible dressing down. It's like you're never going to be a cop, you know you. You just haven't got the the materials to do it, and your family and all this blah blah blah, blah. and and almost kind of bully him into becoming this this undercover police officer. I thought that was that was great, and you see his his journey, as Catherine said, is very different to to Tony's, um, in that Tony's been you know within this world for so long, he he has no, I guess the only link to his past is his ex girlfriend that shows up with his kids. Can I just say oh. she was part of his past within his undercover work, though not. His past, past. Yeah. Sorry, in, in, in Infernal Affairs, you mean, because he's been under yeah. so long. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think DiCaprio has to, he, he struggles with, uh, I guess, having to having to balance between doing his cop job, revealing you know details of where things are going down, while having to do some serious shit himself. You know, he's having to get gritty. He... He smashes a glass on a guy's face. You know, he, I think he's involved in, I'm not really sure exactly what went down, but where him and Ray Winston are, are shaking down some guy and they just set his house on fire. And there's a hint that there's children there because there's a little toddler's bike or something. 
I think that's, that's in the little toys in the living room. So DiCaprio was having to do some pretty bad shit to to stay undercover. I don't um, think he was cut out for undercover work. I'm going to be honest. I felt he was just panicky. Yeah, no, I think I think that's maybe what, as I said, with him and Mark Wahlberg and, and Sheen, you know, saying that he was almost bullied into doing it. It wasn't a a choice. Um, I'm not sure. Is that referred to in Infernal Affairs? Whether Tony Long is is or is he just? He just is undercover and that's all we know. We don't know how or why he became. I think the difference is in The Departed, Queen and, and Dignam see in him the perfect opportunity to get a mole in Costello's team because he's from that background. Whereas Tony Lung just had to play the long game. That's why he's in for so long. And then, yeah. And I think as well, what's what's good is that when DiCaprio is within the, the underworld, within the criminal gang, immediately Jack Nicholson is suspicious, uh, smashes his cast. Uh, beats him with a boot, uh, which is yeah. quite intense. And and throughout, there's that tension of, you know, Nicholson's clearly a very, very smart, intelligent guy, but he's always got this kind of like, is he a bit dodgy? When it's revealed that they know there is a mole and they're trying to uncover it and who it is, his suspicion's kind of heightened. But I think every time DiCaprio kind of just bats him off, he stands up to him. You know, there's a few scenes where, you know, he would have could have easily just broken down and given it away, maybe with a little look. But now he he goes, I'm not a mole, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Doesn't at one point he says, "You call me rat one more time, I'll fucking kill you." He says that to yeah. Jack, Jack Nicholson with Ray yeah. Winston sat behind him. Yeah, and I think that just you know the fact that he's kind of literally standing up to him uh, keeps he's, his keeps him in cover. I I do think you're right. He's got balls, and he I think he plays it right. I just don't think he would have lasted. I just don't think he could have done the long game. Mm. For, for me, where um, I really do uh, like this film um, is is the ending. Because you know, if you've seen a Final Affairs a few nights before, you know how this kind of all ends, or you think you know how it kind of all ends. But you get the, the lift shot, literally. <laughs> and that is just one example of many moments where you see quite a lot of violence. The, you know, literally, the, it shocks me when you... Mm. Even though you know it's, it's, you know, we talked about it in the thing. You know it's coming. You know he's going to get shot in the head, and it still shocks you. You know the lift opens, boom, his head just pops back. Watched it in quarter speed on YouTube, uh, <laughs> just to check. Uh, mate, I tell you honestly, the way they've done it, because because clearly DiCaprio is just going to right, and he just walk out, flip your head back as if you've been shot, and collapse, and, and dead. And then they add the kind of all CG blood, is it? Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think so. But it, but it. It's really cool. Like it's very done good. It. They, yeah. yeah. I love that. And then you're like, right, okay, so now what happens? And then it just turns into a shoot fest. You know, it, everyone, well. Everyone gets shot in the head. Everyone. Everyone gets shot in the head. Yeah. And I do like the way, because I was, uh, again, haven't seen this before, but not maybe remembering details. I was trying to think, okay, well, in the original, Andy Lau, the cop, effectively gets away and goes on to do a sequel. So his kind of story continues and he's carrying this weight of perhaps what he's done because he didn't kill Tony Long. It was the partner. Um, and he basically allowed him to have the, the equivalent of a kind of a state or police funeral. And that within this, uh, Matt Damon just goes on and shoots the uh, the other, he shoots Teddy, uh, or hang time Teddy as I'm referring to him as. Uh, he shoots the other undercover guy. Is that, is that, have I got this all right? Who shoots who? Yeah. Well, someone shoots Teddy. I can't remember. It's James Badge Dale. I don't know the character's name, but the other cop who Damon said, you're a worker. I can do something for mm. you. 
he shoots Anthony Anderson, doesn't he? And then Damon shoots him. Yeah, to leave a clean, a clean slate. Which, yeah, well, I think- which makes no sense actually. If you actually analyze it and look at who shot who, and you know how they shot them, Damon would be rumbled by any when they do CSI team worth their salt. Forensics. Yeah. yeah, I thought that. But also, you know, when you say the in the original one. Andy Lau allows the state funeral to go ahead. It's only after, because it brings up that six months later, the psychiatrist finds paperwork or something yes. that had been left. And that's yeah, the yeah. only reason he gets a state funeral. In the remake, Matt Damon is very much proactive, like, oh, Billy Costigan was a hero and he I'm recommending him for the whatever award it was. And he he makes sure because I think that just adds to his cover. It adds to his story. That he is, you know, who everyone thinks he is. And that was the bit where I'd forgotten. um, So the final scene, the Wahlberg scene, uh, where he he shoots Damon. Because it it doesn't explicitly, and again, maybe maybe I missed it, it doesn't explicitly tell you how or why Mark Wahlberg isn't there. Um, Because he should, you know, he should almost be there. You know, when this whole thing kind of shakes down, why, you know, why isn't DiCaprio called Mark Wahlberg, essentially, to say, look, I've... I know who the rat is. And from right insane, he gives a package to the psychiatrist girlfriend, which we don't know what's in it, but I suspect is instruction. If something happens to me, you tell Wahlberg, Wahlberg will box this off. That's my interpretation of how it ends. I don't know what. what yeah, I think yeah, I think you're supposed to piece that together. Not necessarily even that he told her to tell Dignam, but her thread is left a little bit unresolved. But you do see her at Leonardo DiCaprio's funeral. So it and she stands to reason that she knows the players, she knows the cops. Mm-hmm. She would have known who to speak to because she is a cop psychologist after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, well, she, um, so Matt Damon's kind of waiting for her to speak to her and she just walks straight past him. He doesn't even look at him. Which that, is a, she, a reference to the third man, if you're interested. There's a very, very similar shot at the end of the third man where you're waiting for someone to to speak to someone and they just walk straight past. Yeah, so I, I, I think it is... Uh, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. It, it builds on. It takes the core premise of the uh, Infernal Affairs, moves it to Boston, adds a load of heavyweight actors in there with uh, enough changes to make it, you know, its own thing. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's brilliant. Uh, ben, what about you? Yeah, interesting. I think uh, the there there are several things about it that are different uh, and you've touched on a lot of them it's much more rooted in the place that it is set than infernal affairs in is although that is clearly hong kong this film is about boston it's not just set in boston and you hear you know scorsese gangsters you think it's going to be new york it's going to be chicago you know something like that it's going to be the the cosa nostra or you know the italian mafia and it's not it's the boston irish and actually, the Italians that do show up in this are just goons who get their asses kicked. So that's really interesting. And this kind of started, because it was so successful, I think, it started the the big boom in Boston set films. So a couple of years later, you have Gone Baby Gone. You have uh, The Fighter and The Town. And there's been loads of them in the years since. But this was really the first one. So it was quite novel, actually, to have such a big, prolific film about Boston. I think that gives the film a lot of character. Additionally, by blowing up the Jack Nicholson part, you get two things. Costello is a far more detestable character than the bad guy, the crime boss in Infernal Affairs in is. He is a psychopath. He 
does not give one shit about any woman on the planet. He is uh, just a fiend, a violent maniac, uh, a drug addict. And the other thing is, I think the reason that his part is so much bigger, not just to attract someone like Jack Nicholson, but by setting it in Boston, they're also drawing on the history of Whitey Bulger, a notorious crime boss who went on the run for 16 years because not only was he wanted by the, the feds, he was an informant for the feds. So he was also wanted by his former criminal cohort. Whitey Bulger's story has been told more in depth in other films, but I think that's actually a pretty good piece of casting, getting Jack Nicholson to play a Bulger-like person. And Bulger, uh, Bulger was insane as well. It's also more rooted in philosophy. Costello talks a lot about the comparison between going into a life of crime and following the Catholic Church. And he also makes the comparison between going into a life of crime and becoming a cop, which are your two main options when you're in Boston. But the Catholicism, again, something that springs up in a lot of Scorsese's work, is a really thick undercurrent. And it's the it's honor among thieves, but also, yeah, you can be a nasty piece of shit, but you still give your heart to God. It's that kind of duality and that hypocrisy that they have. And then with the expanded running time, I think, I don't know if you agree with this, Catherine, because it sounds like you don't. I feel like you get to really know Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio a lot better. You see the, that he got Damon much uh, younger. He got him as a kid. And you see that Costello kind of seduces him with comic books and bread and milk and all this sort of stuff. And he says, you ever want to make some money, you come see me. And then you get a lot about Costigan, DiCaprio's character, his backstory through his family and his family connections. And the, we see his mom die and that his stepdad or his uncle or whoever is a piece of shit. And uncle Jackie was connected and Kevin Corrigan comes in and, and, you know, he's a petty criminal and he's his way in. So I do think like it takes everything that's good about infernal affairs and just adds to it, but where it doesn't need changing, it doesn't, it doesn't fuck with the formula at all. The story is basically beat for beat. Like Neil said, sometimes shot for shot, exactly the same. But in certain areas, it it just pushes it out a little bit. It just makes it a little bit bigger. And it doesn't, this is the genius of it, it doesn't sacrifice pace for that. I'm pretty sure you said about The Departed that it feels like an action film, right? Yeah. Which is crazy because there's actually really only one action scene in the whole film, which is in the third act when the shootout happens. But it's Thelma Schoenmacher's editing. That just keeps it. I mean, it's a classic Scorsese thing. You know, Goodfellas, Casino are these big, long films that move at breakneck pace. I think that's the brilliance of the film. I would have to say, in isolation, I don't think it's a five-star film. I don't think it's a classic. I don't think it necessarily deserved Best Picture the year it came out. But as a remake, I think it's really excellent. You still do have those those rivalries between Queen and Costello, they are there. You can tell that they've been happening for a long time. They only really share that one scene together. What's more interesting is how it uses the rivalries to deepen the characters. So Billy gets in with Costello because he beat up the two Italian guys from Providence and they're going to come back and kill Billy. Costello's going to protect Billy by killing the two guys from Providence. And Matt Damon is assigned to the two murders of the guys from Providence to find Costello. So every little bit that they've added, it helps make this net even more complex. And the same is true of Vera Farmiga's character, because 
Costigan is only going to see her as a psychologist or a psychotherapist or whatever as part of his cover. His cover was that he goes to prison and he gets early release, provided that he goes to see a psychologist. And that's how he ends up seeing her, not because he's a cop, because that would blow his cover. So again, like he's talking to her really about what it's like to be an undercover cop without telling her that he's an undercover cop. He's telling her that he's a criminal and he has to keep his his calm all the time, even though he's under this enormous pressure all the time. And I think that's a really cool aspect to it as well. The other thing that it has that Infernal Affairs doesn't have, this film is really funny. There is a lot of humor in this film. And it could be Ray Winston saying to Leonardo DiCaprio, what do you got, your period? Or in the scene that you mentioned, Neil, where they go to, um, to, to bust a guy at home and he's so taken by surprise, he throws a plastic duck at Leonardo DiCaprio's head. <laughs> and uh, the, my, one of my favorite lines in the whole film is when Jack Nicholson's like, I think it's after he's smashed DiCaprio's cast and, and beaten him with the boot and he's sort of getting him in into the crew. He walks back out through the bar and he says hi to someone. He's like, how's your mother? She's like, oh, she's dying. And he's, instead of giving any sympathy whatsoever, he's like, we all are, act accordingly. And he just fucks off. There's this lovely vein of humor that comes from these guys all being about bravado. And even the stuff like we're spotting cops, you know, and the guy says, turns out a lot of attractive women are cops because anyone who doesn't pay attention to you is a cop. I love that. And I think that's a really important addition to the film. It makes it very rewatchable, I think. Yeah. What you said, Ben, about don't think I enjoyed the the expansion of the characters. I, I did. I, I found it. I, it was more that I would have preferred to see Matt Damon have his arc better portrayed if if it was supposed to be an arc of wanting to be a better man i just didn't get that i liked knowing a bit more about them that's why i like the the addition of the the three women who were all condensed into one but the expansion of that and into the relationship and the romantic triangle i liked it i enjoyed it and the because you did get to know them more the 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 original was very stripped back and bare but vera farmiga's character this is possibly a failing of the third act, I think. When you look at it, she's a really tragic character because she obviously had feelings for DiCaprio. He's dead. She finds out that her partner is a rat as well. So she boots him out and she's pregnant. You know, the last time we see her, she doesn't have a word. She walks straight past uh, Matt Damon. And he says to her very quickly and very quietly, can we talk about the kid? The way she blanks him and walks off, there's no doubt in my mind she's she's having or has had an abortion she's not having that kid is she surely or is she keeping it because it's dicaprio's and not damon's i did i didn't get that but equally it's completely unresolved you know you you get you have no idea how or where she goes next but you also have no idea on her moral ethical stance on it so that's i don't think that's easy to say especially in the very catholic boston yeah fair enough so i don't i couldn't say one way or another. I do think, because I, I said, I don't think in, in isolation it's a necessarily a great film. I think the third act of The Departed goes a little too crazy. And I think by the time you get to the, the shootout scene, I think that's where it derails slightly. And I don't, I don't think Scorsese is as comfortable with that, which is why you have those crazy freeze frames in the middle of the shootout and Ray Winston blowing his head off and then the car explodes. 
right? It's it's almost like Scorsese is taking the piss out of what you're supposed to do in an action scene, and the cr- the double crosses, the triple crosses. Everybody's a mole. Everybody's undercover. You know, in the end, that is kind of an expansion of what is happening in Infernal Affairs, and I think Infernal Affairs sticks the landing a little bit better. It's not enough to ruin the film, but I think if you're not aware of the original story or not familiar with it, you know, which I wasn't when I first saw The Departed, although I'd seen Infernal Affairs, I, I, I just think the last half an hour or so is not as strong as everything that came before it. Um, how do you feel about the the very end where Sergeant Dignam executes Matt Damon's character? Yeah, that's because that's fine. I, I like that a lot. And that shot of the rat running along yeah. the, the thing. I didn't know if I was, but I was like, I, I got a lot of satisfaction from that at the end. I was like, yes, yeah. that's how it wanted it to end. It, but I was like, but I liked the ending in the other one. So I don't know. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel about it really. I was like, am I right to like this? Am I not? But then again, they're two different films. I think that, yeah, that's the difference in the characters, isn't it? Because it's much easier to dislike Matt Damon in this, I think. As charming as he is, don't get me wrong, his seduction of Vera Farmiga and all that is spot on. I would fall for him in that lift scene. But because of all the nasty shit he's done, because he seems to be completely without morality and, and simply out for himself, like you said, you don't want him to get away at the end. There's no redemption for him at that point. And yeah, Dignam turning up to kill him is perfect. It's what you want. Yeah. And I love the um, Wahlberg... Uh, He's wearing like a tracksuit and just some some bags over his feet. Yeah. Well, that see because because you, you it pans it pans up, doesn't it? Pans up from his his feet, and he's he's got the booties on to obviously stop any forensic evidence. But I had I'd forgotten that bit as well. So when I saw that, I was like, my immediate thought was, oh, Vera Farmiga's character um, has given the evidence to somebody and they're here in his apartment looking for evidence you know what i mean oh that's, right so like um, they were forensic crew yeah so right. i thought because that's how i thought it was going to be until it panned up and i saw mark Wahlberg, and i was like no this is it i'd completely forgotten that that bit the bit that had stayed with me was leonardo dicaprio getting shot in the head i think yeah mentioned uh with infernal affairs that tony lung is basically playing the same character that he played in hard-boiled there is a comparison here as well when matt damon meets vera farmiga in lyft they have a very very quick conversation but he does manage to get her number which means he got her number how do you like them apples another matt damon boston set you're obviously not fans of goodwill hunting i'm getting blank looks here i haven't seen it all right fair enough go fuck yourself (laughs) fair enough it's a film i should have seen yeah, so a couple of things I mentioned about some of the shot-for-shot shot stuff. So Alec Baldwin, he's playing golf. I think there's a golf scene in the original as well, where he goes to see some one of the directors or one of the senior people at least. You know, I don't think we've talked enough about Alec Baldwin, to be honest. He's just, he's just being... He, he's him His confrontation with Warburg and how they kind of go head-to-head, you know, that's really cool. Like, Warburg is... It feels that feels like a character that Wahlberg doesn't play that often, and he was oh, having a lot of fun with it. He's never been this good, and no. don't get me wrong, I like Mark Wahlberg in the right film, but he's never been as good as he is here. Precisely because he's not playing the Mark Wahlberg character, he's got the shit hair and the and the flappy mouth, and yeah, he's a horrible piece of shit, but such a lovable piece of shit. And on Alec Baldwin, you know, he'd been uh, in the in the cinematic desert for a couple of years by the time this came around so this was the beginning of the the bald can we call it that the, the alley baldwin renaissance 
Yeah, I could have seen more of Alec Baldwin in that and more of the relationship between him and um, Dignam. And I, I liked um, another thing as well, I guess, the, the reveal of when they find out, I guess, who... They don't know who each other is, but they've got they literally got the number, got the telephone number, uh, and they call each other and DiCaprio's phone rings. And I think he answers, but doesn't say anything. That's right. And then he calls back. Which is um, exactly how it goes down in the first film, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And it and, and the tension within that that kind of in both in both scenes really is yeah, it's 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 just a they're both I think if you take out the names and the actors and all that. It's just a fantastic concept that that executes so well. Yeah, the film is the film. Apart from and this, this see, this is the kind of thing that bugs me. I don't know if it other people just let it go by, but why wasn't Captain Queenan's phone in an evidence bag like it was in the first film? Matt Damon just picks it up, smears a bit of blood on it, or there's obviously blood smeared on it. He just picks it up off the desk. But I thought, didn't he? I thought he picked it up from evidence, didn't he? Maybe. He's got, he had the key, he basically was put in charge, so maybe he would have access to the uh, just I thought when he first saw the phone, because there was like a box of like Queen and Murder or something like that behind it. So I, I think it was a an editing thing. I thought he maybe. did actually pick it up from the evidence room. Maybe. Okay. Well, I'll give him a pass. I just want to shout out the, the William Monaghan script, because there's a lot of ways that this could have gone, and it could have been a very glossy, typical Hollywood remake of a high concept foreign movie where they just steal the concept and they kind of ruin it by making it dumb and flashy and all of that. And it's not that. And obviously a lot of that is attributable to, to Scorsese's direction, but I don't think you get Scorsese to do this film. If you don't have a script as good as William Monaghan's who has done some amazing films, but as well as keeping everything that's good from the original film, he layers in so much great dialogue. This is a very, very quotable film from Jack Nicholson's opening monologue to things like when he just shouts at the guy and his crew, don't laugh, this ain't reality TV. You know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Scorsese didn't know it was a remake until after he'd signed on for it. Right. So after he'd read the script and he also didn't watch the remake until after he'd made his film. Or so he says. Oh, fascinating. So... Yeah. Things like the shot of Martin Sheen falling off the roof. I mean, that looks exactly like it did in Infernal Effect. Maybe there's only one way you can shoot that, I guess. But that is interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just feel like I could watch it again. It's right, very, now, right now. It's, it's very, very rewatchable. Mm. Yeah. And I, I know we were giving Ray Winston some shit earlier, but actually I really like his performance in this. And his death scene is an all-timer. Just... He knows he's going to get caught. He knows he's going to die or whatever. He's in a burning mm. car and he just goes, oh, fuck it, and shoots himself in the head. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Lovely stuff. So that is The Departed. Fair to say, two very good films. And to wrap up our discussions on these two films, uh, Catherine, do you want to share some stats and facts? You teased us with a couple earlier. So Should I go with scores? I'll go with scores. Original. Infernal Affairs. IMDb score is 8, 8.0. Pretty high score. The remake is 8.5. Whoa! Yeah, 8.5. So, I mean, it's an Oscar winner film. So, sure. those are both big it. scores. Big scores. Yeah, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. So, um, the critic score, then the fan score, I guess. Critic is 94, fan is 95%. That's for Infernal Affairs. The critic score for The Departed is 91%. Fan score is 94%. So there's still very big scores. But I guess the critic consensus is that Infernal Affairs is 
a better film, but not by, I mean, by Peanuts, isn't it? They've both so got good reviews. When they yeah, what's interesting, the, the Departed, I'm just checking here, I think it's rated the 43rd best film on IMDb. Feels very high. Which is, yeah. that's a bit crazy, isn't it? Well, 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 we'll get we'll get into it, I guess, in terms of our, uh, I'll save that, uh, agree, make, or make, Amazing, amazing, sorry. They both got, I mean, they were just highly rated when they came out. The Departed obviously won the Oscar. And Film Affairs was nominated for 26 awards and won 24 of them, mainly Asian-based. It was a success. Well, and, you know, you said it won the Oscar. We haven't mentioned, I believe, this is the only remake to ever win the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, correct. The Infernal Affairs was actually nominated. Um, it was the Hong Kong entry for the Best Foreign Language Film. It didn't even get nominated. For for the actual Oscars, which seems not surprising though, because you you think about it for that category, you've got entries from all over the world. So there's hundreds of films going in. Yeah, but for one that's so highly rated, I mean, it's got an eight on IMDb. But that's but so just about that though. So I, I was going to say I don't think Infernal Affairs is the kind of film that would normally win the best foreign language Oscar. I would back that up by saying I don't think The Departed is the kind of film that would normally win the Best Picture Oscar, but because Scorsese had been passed over so many times before, mm-hmm. it was his time. What, what did it beat, Ben? Oh, I can't remember. Children of Men. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth won the best foreign language that year, didn't it? Oh, well. But it, there was actually a different ending created for the Chinese release of Infernal Affairs, where um, Lau was... He was arrested when he stepped out of the elevator, elevator, the lift at the end, because um, apparently the Chinese censorship agency, they wanted him to be punished for his crimes. They, they couldn't be seen to be getting away with it. Um, very, That's very common in Chinese cinemas. You, you yeah. have to say crime doesn't pay. We didn't really talk about Infernal Affairs, the original title in Chinese, which is Mogandu. I hope I said that right. means the never ending way. Um, I've also seen it referred to as the endless purgatory road, but um, it's the lowest level of hell in the Buddhist faith. And that's what the film is kind of. There's reference to that, isn't there? I'm sure they have a conversation about that. Yeah. So it's about this endless road of purgatory that they are both on in the lives that they're living. Um, And it spawned two sequels, a TV series, a potential Hindi remake, and an open world computer game called Sleeping Dogs. The remake... It was originally supposed to be a low-budget film, um, but it was as the star power increased, obviously, salaries increased. Give Me Shelter, or Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones, is the third film that Scorsese's used that track in. And it features twice in the film, but it isn't actually on the soundtrack. Couldn't work, I couldn't see why that was. But. The thing that I, I remember being quite novel about the soundtrack at the time was he uses Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb at one point in the film, and it was also used as the soundtrack for the trailer. But he uses a live version. He doesn't mm-hmm. use the studio version. It's very rare that you would use a live track in a film soundtrack. It's quite a nerdy point, but just thought I'd make it. But I was going to talk about some alternatives for the roles because this film was it was produced by Brad Pitt and his production company, Plan B. And he originally was going to play the uh, Matt Damon role. And who do you think was going to play the Leonardo DiCaprio? I think at a similar age. George Clooney. No. Downey Jr. No. It's one that you would have covered. Keanu Reeves? Tom Cruise. Tom? It was supposed to be Brad. That's who it was supposed to be, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, but they felt that they needed to go much younger and for them to be straight out of cadet training. 
that's yeah, I don't. I can I see, see. I can see Pitt in the part, but not Cruz. Mm-hmm. Just on just on DiCaprio, actually. Um, I didn't mention this this earlier, but uh, obviously, it's one of those times where you go. He was so he, well, especially in the training in the in the the flashback. He looks so young. Yeah. And he's 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 very much a grown-up man now. You know, his more recent films, he's he plays. He was kind of in between his kind of Titanic beach kind of era. Catch me if you can. Mm. Yeah, he looks he looks super young. I think he's at that stage in his career where he's still trying to prove something. I don't think anyone was really taking him that seriously. Although I think he's amazing in Catch Me If You Can. And I think just probably after this, he's sort of calmed down a bit. But I think you can see that in his performance. Like, he's really acting in this film, isn't he? This is the first and I think the only role, maybe not, maybe Catch Me If You Can, but I found him attractive in any way. Mm. Like, he's not my, I, I don't particularly find him attractive, but in this role I did for some reason. He's lost a bit of the prettiness, hasn't he? He's a bit, he's a bit mm. rougher, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, fair to say he had a pretty good run after, didn't he? You know, he's done. Yep. Around Inception, uh, Django, Django, yeah, the, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Was the the Aviator before or after? It was before this, yeah. And again, I love that film. I think it's brilliant, but I think he was too young at that point to do that part. But yeah, the Aviator is a fantastic film. We nearly got Mel Gibson instead of Alec Baldwin. Nah. See, I can't really see any of these alternatives. I would have um, liked uh, instead of Damon and DiCaprio. Ready for this? Travolta and Cage. I'd watch it. Well, we've we've got one of those in Face Off. Yeah, we've got that already. Don't need it. Face Off Two. Are you trying to say that Infernal Affairs is a pseudo remake of Face Off? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. The other big-ish name was for for Dignam. We nearly didn't have Mark Wahlberg. We nearly got Dennis Leary. Oh no! Again, yeah. no. I don't. I think it was a perfect cast. I don't want to swap any of them out. No. I, I can imagine that. You know, these these were all, you touched on like Alec Baldwin and things, and some of these actors were, well, they're all big actors, you know, all, all big roles, big salaries. But I think if Scorsese went to them and said, I'm making this film about this kind of concept, you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, how anyone has kind of turned it down or, you know, I, I don't understand because it's such a great script director and team behind it. I imagine, I imagine they had a fantastic time making this film. Yeah. Can I just ask, has, have any of you heard of Takashi Mikkei? Um, yes, Takashi Mikkei, a very prolific Japanese uh, director. Well, there's a little Easter egg, and I don't know why. I couldn't find evidence as to why this was put in. But in um, in Matt Damon's apartment, I think it's when Vera Farmiga's either moving in or they're just, just staying over, they're having a conversation. His audition tape is playing on Matt Damon's TV. But audition tape for mm-hmm. what? I don't know. I couldn't find. I couldn't no. find that. Just audition. Audition is a Takashi Miike movie. Ah. Well, anyway, that's. Um, oh. It's apparently. Um, Which is, it is on my watch list, Ben. Yeah, Catherine. If you want to branch out into J horror, Japanese horror, <laughs> audition is a fucking movie. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, it's that's mm. a yeah that's a te- that's a test that one. I probably won't take it. I've got enough tests coming up. Um, but that's it for facts. I couldn't find any interesting, oh, this happened while they were filming or, you know, no um, departed musicals on the scene. Oh, shame. So the F word and its derivatives. Yeah. 288 times. What I quite like about it is that it's not in there for the sake of being in there. That is how 
these characters and how the Boston criminal underworld and probably the cops as well. That's how they probably talk. Fuck. Yeah, I I don't know if you're aware of. There's a guy called Michael Franzis who used to be uh, part of the Cosa Nostra, and uh, he went to prison and now he's gone straight. And he he's got a YouTube channel and he does talks and all this sort of stuff about the life. Uh, and every Monday he reviews a mob movie and mainly talks about whether it's believable, realistic, or not. And uh, he talked about The Departed and he actually said Costello as a, as an analog for Whitey Bulger and Ray Winston. Uh, the two people he pulled out and he said, those guys have got it down pat. Like that's Costello's unpredictability and Winston's sort of steadiness. And even when he's slapping the shit out of DiCaprio or, or whoever, he never really looks like he's particularly fussed. He never looks, you know, crazy. I just thought that was quite interesting because I would have said those are the two that sort of stick out as maybe a bit cartoonish. I don't know. Well, I believe that Whitey Bulger actually got himself to a cinema to see this, hearing that it was kind of based on him. Right. And he he did not agree. He kept like shaking his head and it, it wasn't. <laughs> but maybe he just didn't like seeing himself betrayed like that. But there is actually like quite a famous Italian mobster, isn't there, called Frank Costello? He was yes. of the Lucky Luciano era. And, That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I was thinking it's not a very Irish name, is it? Costello. No, not at all. No. So, yeah, I don't know why that that was changed to that, actually. But um, if you want to see a film about Whitey, Whitey Bulger and all the shit that he was up to, uh, Johnny Depp actually did a half-decent performance of him in Black Mass, which is a good movie. Okay. So that leaves us to start, I guess, our assessment uh, of the of the remake, at least. Uh, kick us off, Ben. I think we're three-word review time. Okay, well... I actually, I was struggling with this one, so I decided I was going to give a shout out to Boston, and I went and looked at some Bostonian slang. So, if you're in Boston and you want to say, "Hey, this meal is really good," you might say of it, "This meal is the fricking balls." So, I am saying the fricking balls. There you go, Catherine. Can you top that? I don't think so. Really, I've gone quite standard and straight laced i don't want to top it i've just gone for bombastic mob alternative mm. and alternative as in to the original i'm so. guessing neil you've gone for something like policeman gangster usa <laughs> <laughs> i mean i wish i had you know because it because it is isn't it let's be honest um so i had i had two one one is uh, very simply what a cast you know, oh, that, that yeah. is it's just very simple. Um, and I had gnawing, teething affairs. Because it is a gnawing, teething take on infernal affairs. I think we've got to go with the freaking balls. It's... The freaking balls! The freaking balls, it is. Another one of our features, of course, is we have to take one thing from the remake and insert it into the original. So if you haven't been listening to our previous episodes, this ranges from whether it's effects or actors or scenes or lines or just something quite quirky like picking up litter. So uh, <laughs> anybody got uh, something from the remake that they want to put into the original? Yeah, I struggled with this one as well. So I've, I've settled on not Mark Wahlberg, but Staff Sergeant Dignam. Put him in Infernal Affairs. And it can be played by Mark Wahlberg. That's fine. It's, a, it's quite when the films are so different. It's it's difficult sometimes, but I liked how they amalgamated the female characters and gave gave her more, even though she was I can't get over what a rubbish psychotherapist or psychologist or psychiatrist she was. But regardless, 
she had more to do and I liked her character and the story and what it brought to the film so I would I that's what I'd put in the original fair enough I so I had two I think so so one the one I'm not picking would be Jack Nicholson because I think he would just take over uh Infernal Affairs and, and that is as we've discussed throughout is a very very different film but I've gone with the or I'll go with sorry the the elevator shot essentially I think I think it's nicely done in the uh, original where you don't at first see the shot I think you see the door open and a shot happens and it blacks out and then you do see a replay of it from a different angle um, but I think the, the, the remake quality is just better. Um, it maybe wouldn't totally fit in the original, but don't care. I watch it in slow-mo. I know we've sort of moved on, but I did think it was an interesting choice to show Queen and falling before Leonardo DiCaprio walks around the corner. Because in the original, the body hits the car. I'm right here, right? The body just hits yeah, the yeah, car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's it was genuinely a kind of holy shit moment the first mm-hmm. time I saw it. And in the remake, Scorsese decides to show his hand and say, you're going to know this before DiCaprio knows this. And I did think that was a really interesting touch. And it's still shocking when he hits the ground because there blood spatters everywhere, you know. Indeed. So our final scoring mechanism is, of course, our rating system of how we measure these films, uh, I guess, as as remakes. So Ben, do you want to remind our listeners of the, the rating system and then give your score? If it's just hot trousers, we're unmaking it. Simple as that. If it's uh, pretty good, straight remake, you know, doesn't add too much, doesn't take anything away, it's an agree make. And if it's better or it does something fantastic that's different to the original, it's remazing. Anybody want to go first? Well, I will. But I just like to say, I'm not or just a great film. It doesn't have to be better. Yeah. Oh, it, did, right. I, it did something different, didn't it? It very much did something different. But I am going with remazing. Now, I thought you would go a green make out of the three of us, actually. I love The Departed. It's, it's a great film, just just different. But I, I love Internal Affairs. Infernal exactly. Affairs. And well, at the beginning, you said you couldn't really call it between them, maybe, mm. uh, which is why I thought you'd go a green make. But that's cool. I also went remazing because although I don't think it's necessarily a five star film, I think it's in terms of a remake, it kind of does what The Magnificent Seven did. It takes all the good stuff and adds a bit more and makes it different and better in different ways if that makes sense so you asked me a question earlier about i guess my my views on infernal affairs having seen the departed i am going to go remazing um but there's a couple of caveats to this i think this is almost like my insomnia and we talked about this in our kind of teaser episode in that so for context for those who haven't listened to insomnia episode uh, it's a scandinavian film that was remade by uh, christopher nolan starring al pacino and various other uh, people and it, it is we saw them in order whereas ben had saw them in reverse is that right ben insomnia yeah I, I sorry yeah i'd seen insomnia before i saw sorry i'd seen nolan's insomnia before i saw <laughs> yeah. yeah and and i think that that is for me perhaps why <clears throat> i think the departed is a far more entertaining film rewatchable film mm-hmm. just because of Largely, Jack Nicholson is a huge factor in that. Infernal Affairs is also a fantastic film, and I will, and I'm looking forward to rewatching it uh, because I feel like I get a lot more out of it you now having had this discussion. And, and if I had to sit down and choose one to watch, it would always be The Departed. But I think if I'm rating yeah. them on yeah. Letterboxd, they're probably about the same. I've not really decided on a star rating just yet, but they're they're not far off each other. They're very different, but. It- the Departed is the one I'd pick up and watch. I totally and, agree. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I went with Remazing. Yeah, Remazing. 
Excellent. So clean sweep. And we am yes, we started with a good one. We started with a shit one last time. Yeah. So we started with point break. You know, a fan favorite, I think, of all of us for the original, but the, the remake was terrible. This one, yeah. I think clean sweep, two excellent films. Gonna be interesting what we think about the next one. So uh, if you haven't listened to our teaser episode, uh, next up, we have Death Race 2000 from 1975 and its remake from 2008, Death Race. So, guys, have we seen any of these films? I hadn't seen these films at all. And when you sent the mammoth list of films that we had to pick from, over 300 films, I think, I liked the title, and when I looked at the covers of the films, I liked the covers, and that is the whole reason I picked the films. Solid, solid. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think that's the way to do it with these ones. Uh, yeah, I've seen them both. Uh, Death Race 2000 was a favourite of mine when I was in my teenage years. We used to share the VHS around school, mainly to laugh at Sylvester Stallone in one of his very early roles, and the, the Jason Statham remake much bigger budget i think i've only seen it once but yeah i've seen it and that spawned a franchise as well there's like three sequels to that now yeah so i've not not seen either so i'm very much looking forward to uh to both uh in particular the remake uh ben because it's directed by paul ws anderson of mortal Kombat fame yes indeed uh, yeah so if you don't know paul william scott anderson has basically made a career out of uh video game movies essentially yeah, Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil, they are critically absolutely awfully rated, uh, but make probably a lot of money for some people and probably himself. Uh, so, yeah, I am looking forward to seeing what he does with, with Statham. Now, if you want to watch along with us, the fantastic kind of aggregator site of Just Watch will help you find the films in your region uh, if they're available to stream or to buy. At uh, the time of recording, unusually, Death Race 2000 is not available on UK platforms. So not on Amazon. It's not to, to rent on Rakuten or anything like that. Uh, it is available on US iTunes. So if you're a US resident or have a US account, you can uh, rent or buy it from there. The remake is available, usual kind of places, typical kind of rental price of, of £3.49. Uh, or you can buy it, again, at the moment on Apple and Amazon for £3.99. I would say check out justwatch.com just to get the latest prices from your region. Now, if people are listening or watching along, sorry, and then listening, uh, how can they get in touch with us, Ben? Well, glad you asked. Morse you code, go- isn't it? <laughs> yep. Just tap, tap, tap away. We'll, uh, we'll learn Morse code. Uh, go on Facebook, The Good, The Bad, and The Remake Movie Podcast. And we are on there. Twitter, at good bad remake and if you want to send some longer thoughts uh, you send us a little review of these films if you're watching along with them good bad remake at gmail.com excellent and i know this uh, the departed in infernal affairs got quite a few votes um yeah. from from our kind of votes last season lost out to the thing i think it's been the yeah. most requested film hasn't it the departed yeah um, but yeah, lots of different quarters and areas have, have asked for it. So if you let us know your thoughts on our episode, your thoughts on the films, your interpretations, get in touch. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, subscribing, commenting. We really hope you enjoyed uh, our discussion on Infernal Affairs and The Departed. And goodbye from me. See you next time. ta And we look forward to you joining us, watching the movies and listening to the episode on Death Race 2000. 
and the remake Death Race. I think we nailed it. It's a long one, wasn't it? That? That's what she said. Goodbye. Can I can I say goodbye again? I oh. <laughs> goodbye. I just felt like it. She would do it again. I just don't <laughs> I just don't want to sound like um a children's TV presenter.